0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. The gender pay gap in Ireland, the differential between the average pay of males and females within an organisation, is estimated at an average of 14%. However, the Gender Pay Gap Information Act 2021 has now finally come into operation to help tackle this issue. To talk to us more about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Mary Connington, Director at CIPD Ireland, who in this role is leading the development and contribution of the HR profession in Ireland and has been actively involved in Ireland's journey towards gender pay gap reporting. Thanks for joining us, Mary. How are you?
2: Good, thanks Owen. Nice to be here.
1: Brilliant. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary?
2: I'm great, thanks Owen, and we're delighted to have you here, Mary.
1: Brilliant, so we'll jump right in, so two Marys today, so if we do get the questions mixed up too, forgive me, but we'll take off at yourself, Mary Conanton, first. So I suppose pay gap reporting is finally here, Mary, it's great news, and I suppose we're not quite there yet, but it is, the progress has been great, but it's been quite a journey to get us to this point, hasn't it?
3: Yes, I went back over the records and found that our first engagement was at. That- was back in 2017 when you have to think it was that long ago when we put in a consultation into the government and their intention then was to roll out some kind of legislation. And we had the Gender Pay Gap Information Bill, and that was due to be in place in 2019. And then when the government changes, we ended up with the Gender Pay Gap Reporting Act and a couple of different ones in between. And as you say, that was passed in 2021, but the regulations to actually help implement it only got issued on the 31st of May this year with an implementation date of 1 June. So the final piece has been very fast and had companies concerned about what they were going to have to do without enough information until it just came at the very last minute.
1: Absolutely. And Mary Collins, when we talk about the gender pay gap, can you give us a, a definition of what is the gender pay gap for listeners that might have a bit of confusion over it.
2: I suppose it's there's quite a lot of detail in it, so it's probably not going to be a quick summary, if that makes sense. Really, it's about looking at the difference in pay between men and women. And for companies, it's about what they do around all of that information and what it means for their organisation. So really, it's about closing that gap. Ultimately, that's the ultimate aim of it. And as, and as Mary has said, it's come around quite quickly. I was talking to the French-Irish Chamber of Commerce back in probably January or February this year. And because there had been nothing published at that point in time, I really didn't believe that we were going to see it come into effect in 2022 and was quite surprised when, you know, all the rush. Here it is, employers having to pick the snapshot date and report by December 2022, because I just didn't believe that they would even push it into the back end of the year just before Christmas. I think it'll be interesting to see once those reports start getting published where we are, how organisations are going to handle it, how they're going to handle the requirement to have published on their website for three years in a row that information. And it actually means for men and women in the workplace going forward.
1: And then the fun really starts, and we'll see the effect it will have on business. But it is great news. So Mary Connaughton. So I suppose when we talk specifically about gender pay gap reporting and what's out there at the moment, can I simply can you ask, tell us what's being asked of employers and what are they required to report on?
3: So in terms of what's being asked of employers, as Mary said, this year it's coming into place for organisations with two hundred and fifty or more employees. Don't relax now if you have over 150 employees, because you're currently in the year that you will be reporting on by the time it comes around by June next year. And the requirement was to pick a date in June and set that as your snapshot date. And then what you do is you calculate your gender pay gap under the formulae based on the previous 12 months. So that's what's been asked of employers. And from that snapshot date, you have six months to actually produce your report. So that brings you up to December. And actually it's a very short timeline, especially for organizations that only got details of the exact reporting requirements, like on the first June, in essence, to actually be ready with their systems in place. And we're already hearing about information gaps. So that report has to be made available at the end of the year and be accessible on the website for up to three years. Now the government are likely to bring in a reporting tool down the road. In fact, we propose that they actually look to the UK one because they have a good reporting tool there and just lift and shift it over. So let's see if that will happen. In terms of the specifics of what a company has to report on, so it's all about hourly pay. So everything has to be broken down into hourly pay. So they have to report on the mean and the median gap in hourly pay between men and women. And the mean and the median gap in bonus pay between men and women. And the mean and median gap in hourly pay between part-time male and female employees. And then the percentage of men and women who received a bonus and the percentage of men and women who received benefits in kind. And we're certainly picking up that companies don't have good records about who may have received benefit in kind, for example. That's not something that has normally been tracked. Something like health insurance may be tracked, but vouchers may not be tracked. So it's a very broad definition. So that is one of the gaps. And they also have to report on the percentage of male and female employees who fall in each quartile pay band. Now, that can sound quite complicated, but actually, if you just put all your pay in a line in a list and you took the top 25 percent and you said how many of them are male and how many are female and then you took the bottom 20 percent and ha- said how many of them are male and female and did the same for the other two quarters in the middle that's the essence of what it's asking person to do and then they have to put in some text and they have to talk about why there is gender pay gap in the organization and what they're going to do about it And that's a really good development because that was never put into the UK regulation. So the UK regulations report on this is what the gender pay gap is, but actually doesn't say you have to talk about what you're going to do about it. So we're pleased to see that they're covering that. But this is a big chunk of work for companies to have to, from June, go back over their previous 12 months, calculate all this information. And you have to account for things like somebody who's been on long-term sick, on maternity leave, and Somebody who started during the year. So there's a whole lot of different formula you have to apply to actually convert all those into the hourly rate of pay and then compare that between the men and the women. So, yeah, and I we're not sure the companies are actually realize just pulling it together in December for printing. And you also have to do an internal communication process alongside this, because if you're actually not talking to your employees about it, they get confused. You also have to educate your senior managers because they're going to have to sign off that this is, this is a bit like their corporate annual report and they're going to have to sign off on it and stand over the action plans that are in it. It's really important to put attention on the internal communications and have time for that in a busy December month because often you find among employees there's confusion over the difference between equal pay, i.e. if we're doing the same job or we're getting the same pay, and um, which there is a legal requirement for, but the gender pay gap is about the averages of how men and women in the organization compare. And it doesn't mean any one individual is being discriminated against.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to it. And I think we mentioned, as we were chatting before to call, Mary, the CEO, CIPD, Peter Cheese, always mentions this kind of poly crisis that we're in now and the amount of things that are going on. So this is definitely a big piece of work, I think, for HR teams, isn't it? It's a breaking new ground, but obviously the data you get out of it will be pretty rich, won't it, Mary?
3: Yes, I'm really looking forward to being able to see what's coming through. We know there are some companies who've already published reports out there and there's some good examples, but not necessarily are they the same formula. They have adopted different formula. We have found that over the past few years, our research has been telling us that a third of companies in our HR practices have been producing reports, not necessarily publishing, but have been producing them. And it hasn't changed. So we do need this legislation to actually make progress and put transparency on it. And we're already hearing about women saying, I'll be looking at gender pay gap reports before I decide to go and work in an organization. So it can do brand damage if your figures don't look, even on a sectoral par. I think that's what companies need to start off in year one to be close to the sectoral norm, because the sectors will vary a lot, but if they can be close to the sectoral norm in year one, they won't be doing too bad.
1: Definitely, and Mary Cullen, I suppose once when we look at, I suppose the companies that we've worked with or companies we've spoken to, and also just the, the kind of general state of play here in Ireland, have we seen any progress yet here as such? I know obviously it's been floating around now for a while, and as Mary Connaughton has said, there some companies are reporting, but have we any? Have we seen any real kind of concrete progress?
2: Yeah, I think you could look at um, on as a really good example of an organisation that set out to tackle their gender pay gap a couple of years ago. And really, they have had quite a lot of PR and positivity around the progress that they have made. I think one of the big headlines I know was that they'd achieved a zero gender pay gap, I think, in 2021. And that is a very powerful message. Now, of course, when you look behind all the figures and you look at an organization in terms of what they're doing, you'll see that only a quarter of Ampost's workforce are actually female. But even so, you are seeing that the management board is split evenly by gender. And Two thirds of its senior management group are men. Eighty seven percent of its po- of its employees who are male are postal operatives, and seventy one percent of its group are managers are male. So. I guess when you look at any organisation, the devil is always going to be in that detail. And when you look at it, some organisations might be more male or female dominated, if that makes sense. And that may be by virtue of the sector or the nature of the work. And as Mary says, that doesn't necessarily mean that anyone is being discriminated against. It's simply about closing that gap. But you can look towards organisations. Like POSTA, look at the kind of action plans that they have put in place and the really positive work that they have done, including looking to increase the number of women in the postal service and as postal operatives and again i think you'll see organizations like boss air and irish rail and all of those really working very hard to close that gap to encourage women to take part in development programs to look at female specific leadership programs and you're seeing a lot of really good work coming out of the focus on the differences between male and female pay for any of those organisations who've embraced this kind of work early. But even though they've done that work already, they're still the same as everybody else. They still have had to pick that snapshot date. They're still going to have to report on the mean and median pay of their employees. And again, whether they're that's permanent employees or part-time employees, temporary employees, The list is quite clear from the government regulations around who's to be considered an employee, in fact. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see what what gets published and the narrative around that. And I agree with you, Mary. I think the narrative piece is really important. But also the fact that you've got the reports to be publicly available for three years I think you're going to be able to see from year to year it pushes the organization into actually taking solid steps towards reducing those pay gaps and I think you're going to see some really great stuff in the next three years because of that.
1: I was going to say there if we talk about this time next year that same question about progress might might have a lot more rich data to it so I, I think you're dead right there Mary but the progress and how this might kick on the agenda, which is fantastic. I suppose when it comes into the actual reporting itself, Mary Hanson, how will this be enforced?
3: They obviously thought about that because when they were looking at the legislation and some of the changes about enforcement went into the equality legislation, not all into the um, um, gender pay gap reporting legislation, was to improve enforcement by appointing designated officers who can investigate how well employers are preparing the information and its accuracy. Because we know at the start in the UK, there were some very strange reports being produced. So these officers will be able to go in and investigate them. And you have to be able to spend time actually looking through those websites and actually finding the reports. The Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission then will be able to apply for a circuit court order forcing a company to comply. So that's the real teeth in it, is that they can take cases to the circuit court and force compliance. Now, an employee can make a complaint, and that would go to the WRC, but there isn't any compensation for an employee if there is a breach. Now, still, the company would be expected to close that breach, but an employee can actually make a complaint, and they'll often be the ones that will spot that nothing has happened here in this organization, and though they weren't personally game, they'll actually draw attention to it. They also allow um, for the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission to carry out reviews and to draw up equality action plans. And certainly we think nationally we do need a mechanism to pull this together. I know we'll be tracking it like yourselves in terms of what our company saying, but somebody actually needs to be going in and looking at it and producing some kind of average reports and statistics and pulling together that. But the real challenge is going to be what companies do about it, the actual practical steps. And in fact, in year one and year two in the UK, they didn't see an improvement between year one and year two. I think it was a, a minor drop in either the mean or the median, because often the interventions just take that bit longer. It doesn't all happen in 12 months. That 12 months gets you on the path towards doing something but then it can just take that bit longer their figures haven't changed dramatically over the last number of years in fact the world economic forum produced their 2022 report last month and it's still saying it's going to take over 130 years to close the gender pay gap at the pace we're going now ireland isn't as bad as that when they report on sort of europe and north america and we're more around 60 years so just shows you there's other parts of the globe that are worth than we are but even the pandemic and the cost of living crisis have hit women more so than men in terms of who's been impacted so when you have those sort of external events impacting on women in the way they have in terms of the nature of the work they did being more likely to be the people who lost their jobs and being maybe less qualified in some of those roles and being in particular sectors like retail and hospitality you know, they're trends that you really have to, are going to take time to, to, to change. But I don't think we have to give up trying. We just need to recognise where are the gaps that we can tackle.
2: And childcare as well, Mary, it's just such a huge burden, isn't it, in terms of in general, but women in particular, because it's just increasing all the time and even the availability of spaces for children in creches, it really is quite stressful for women when they are making those decisions about even returning to the workplace, if they've been out of the workplace or about their ability to continue in in the workplace, depending on the nature of the work that they do, lack of childcare, the cost of childcare, the increasing costs in, in terms of living, it's quite a difficult time, I think, for women. But you have to, sometimes it, it is disheartening when you hear stats, it's going to take 130 years or 60 years in Ireland. That's our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren that you would hope at some point would have equality in pain. It's, it just doesn't seem right that we would look at a whole generation of people who wouldn't have equal pay. And I'd love to see things move faster than that. And I do think the organizations that genuinely go up looking at their figures and maybe for the first time really understanding that there there are those significant gaps between the mean and median pay of men and women and maybe taking proactive steps will change things, at least by organisation, if not across the country. And I do always think, we've mentioned it lots of times on this podcast, Iceland has done some incredible work and Ireland could be another Iceland if we go about it in the right way. But from an HR perspective, it's not always easy to get these messages across. And I think the organisations who get it right really will be able to attract and retain women who are going to look very closely at organisations. I did before our recording here today, I did a quick bit of research to see who's published what out there now. Has anybody really published reports in advance of the deadlines or using it as an opportunity to really promote their organization. And it's hard to come by that information. It's You kind of have to know what you're looking for and who's doing what, or it has to be in the media first really to see it. It'll be nice just to have that information more readily available. There's a job going in this particular organization. I'm going to Google it and I'm going to find there the differences and decide will I go to that organization or not. So interesting.
3: And hopefully by this time next year, that's what people will be doing. So at least next year, you'll know it's there or else you'll be asking questions at interview. I can't find it. What is it? So hopefully this will certainly help those decisions. So much more of the proactive steps that need to be taken in companies is around supporting parents, is around supporting work-life balance, allowing more flexible and part-time working, being willing to give additional leave to support parenthood, because the the gender pay gap really comes into place with the birth of children. It's not something that's necessarily there when people from college join the workforce. It happens when children come along. And I've seen CSO stats and, and it's shocking the extent to which it just grows and would double within a couple of years once you're looking at the fact that there are um, children. And I think what Iceland have done too is a very good monitoring regime. So they actually have to report on it and monitor it at a national level, not just produce the report. So I do think there's space for that. But I know the EU are looking at it, so that's another potential push around this. They've been talking about a directive on equal pay, and that would include far more paid transparency and move away from this idea, particularly around recruitment, that you might offer different candidates, different amounts of money. If that comes in under the remit of equal pay, that will start to make a difference as well. And there's a call also in the EU for doing more what they call gender neutral recruitment and promotion. And that's not something we see much of. We see some of the bigger corporations moving on the parents' leave and that, but we don't see them move on gender neutral um, recruitment. So certainly if there's anyone out there who has an example of that, um, I'd love to to hear more about it and see how we can promote it.
2: I think a lot of that gender neutral recruitment comes with technology, doesn't it? That it'll be the screening and the selection, or sorry, the screening piece in particular that will be done using AI and technology rather than human beings and getting rid of all of that your address and your date of birth and all of those things that you still you find on the cv i'm always amazed at how much information people will put up there like how many children they have and whether they're married or not that still comes into cvs and i'm often surprised by it but yeah i think that would be a really welcome development as well because it's at the screening point that that those decisions are made based on age, based on location, based on your ethnicity, whatever it's at those stages that still happens. And I think it, it would do a lot for equality in general, as opposed to just between men and women. But yeah, I would welcome it too. And I'd love to hear we would love to speak to somebody who is doing that at the moment. I also don't know of any organization that's eliminated that information from there but I did read somewhere recently about nudging managers before interviews and saying we really do need to increase the number of women we have in this particular category of employment and that those nudges have proved to be quite effective from the people profession when they're talking to managers but the point of the nudge is just before they conduct the interview so it's again is an interesting one i'd love to i'd love to talk to someone or hr people who do that and see has it made a difference to the number of female entrants into particular categories of work
3: yeah, and we also hear about far more employers when they're talking to the universities or the, the third level sector, going looking for females for tech jobs and IT jobs and that and engineering jobs and trying to build more balance. In fact, one of the universities said to me, oh my God, I have so many requests for the women that I don't have. What about all the men? So you do have to still have a balanced approach. But at the end of the day, I think it will be probably talent and skills that drive this change. Because right now, and coming out of the pandemic, there's a much greater expectation that people can articulate the way of working that they want. And if they want to work mainly from home, or they want to don't want to have a commute, or they want to work part-time and flexible working, there's so much more demand from that, from employees. And that's the thing that we're seeing organisations are responding to so they're willing to give in because they know they need to do it to attract and to retain employees so employees are more selective and with more choice then what we need is to make sure mothers are doing that too that they don't get lost in their motherhood and don't take advantage of those opportunities but certainly I had to do some research on the labour force figures and found a figure which is a bit surprising we now have far more what they call transitions in and out of the labour market than we used to have. So even if you go back, just comparing like at the end of 21 with two or three years before, there was a certain number of, of what they call transitions. So you might be stepping out of work for parenting, for retiring, for education, for travel. So movement in and out. And that by the end of last year, that had gone up and there were more people moving out than moving in. And certainly we're hearing that more people retiring early, more couples deciding that they're not both going to go to work, as you talked, Mary, about childcare. So all those agendas will play into this and we just need employers and the government to respond and to facilitate that. There's a new flexible working directive and legislation to be brought in here. But we think that should be for everybody, not just for carers and parents. It should be something for everybody. And and then we can really try and make a more equ- equitable workplace.
1: Yeah, when we look at that kind of organizational perspective, and I'll come to yourself, Mary Cullen, for this one. What does this mean for organizations as a whole? There, there is obviously a lot of benefits beyond beyond the obvious. We've touched on a few of them. There isn't there.
2: Absolutely. From an organizational perspective, isn't it about equity and fairness and justice as well? And I think while it's imposed upon us through regulation and legislation and all of that, it's imposed upon organizations. There will be positive spin offs from it. And there's a real sense from people, young people in particular, who are entering the workplace they want to work for organizations with a sense of purpose they're attracted to organizations where they can bring their whole selves to work and I've often spoken about my own professional journey as a HR practitioner with young children and hiding that from my employer and hiding my status with children from my employer for many years or in my early career because I had to. That was how it felt or that's what I felt I needed to do at the time. And that wasn't fair because my male counterparts didn't feel the need to do that. And so while I've seen great developments around equity and fairness and bringing your whole self into the workplace. I think movements like this around gender pay gap reporting while onerous for employers and we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of work in here and probably a lot of concern about the figures that are going to emerge from a c-suite perspective many of them will be concerned about how this looks how it will look how it will affect their brand and their organization their ability to attract and retain ultimately it's a good thing in terms of Shining a spotlight and bringing about more fairness, but I also think it will bring about more development programs for women. And so far, lots of our clients have talked to us about female mentoring programs and all of those kind of things, which, quite frankly, five years ago, nobody was talking about, or very few were talking about. And it's great to see those kind of developments in Irish organisations.
1: So, yeah, I think the big question to finish off then, Mary. What kind of practical steps? Then, what advice can we give to organisations out there who want to do, who want to tackle this gender pay gap and do some, do something about it while they can?
3: I think it's great first that there's going to be transparency on it and debate in the organisation. So, by the very fact of the whole raised awareness in the business about what is it, what it is in that organisation, what causes it, is going to put much more of a spotlight on it. And what we think companies need to do is to take advantage of that and make sure they pull it into their recruitment. So when they go into recruitment, even if it's not gender neutral, they're actually very conscious of how they can get better balance at senior levels. And that's not something we've been doing very well in Ireland. So they need to get better balance at a senior level with more senior women in roles. They may need to give some pay uplift when women are not aligned with their male counterparts. They need to make sure that the professional or middle management are getting development so that they're ready for the future. And all this needs to be done through a lens that a woman with children can fully participate and be engaged in that. So if they're flexible working or hybrid working, they're not left out of the formula. So I think part of this will be monitoring much more closely to what happens around hybrid working. Because there's still a fear out there that if you are if you chose as a female not to be on site and your male counterparts were on site, that would have a negative impact. The other thing, building on what Mary Cullen is saying, is this is becoming now part of a sustainability agenda. How sustainable is your workforce? And being looked on through the lens of sustainability practices. But that means stakeholders, investors are now asking about it. So that's actually going to put the spotlight and that brings pressure at the board and the senior management team. And that's where the pressure needs to be put to actually make sure something happens. And then to employees, you're not getting the policies and the support. Walk with your feet, because that will force organisations to say, actually, what are we not doing? And maybe they'll draw attention to their, their parenting and their flexible working policies and see what they can do. Now, I know it's a tough word out there. I'm not trying to say everything is rose. It is going to take time to to make a difference, because changing people in their roles, changing gender profiles in different roles, different sectors is something that happens um, over time, like over maybe so you have to be conscious of of that that it will take time but at least now the spotlight will be on it and all of us here will be able to go in and find those reports and comment on we now comment on the good ones because anyone who doesn't want it known hasn't had to publish it hasn't revealed it and we know there are some out there some of them have revealed it to us personally in the meantime you can go and look up the uk figures because they're all available on the uk government's site and you there's a lot of multinationals from Ireland who be on that list. So there's some insight there available. But yeah, so there'll be a lot of things to do and you have to look at it from a holistic perspective, both in terms of your recruitment, your support, your policies, your promotion, your development, and make sure that your pay practices build in both transparency and fairness.
1: Absolutely. And a similar question to yourself, Mary Cullen. I suppose a lot of it, we say it so often on this podcast, a lot of it is about transparency and intentionality and it's definitely something as mary conington has said there that's definitely reflective of this next piece of work with gender pay gap reporting isn't it
2: absolutely as mary says the board and the senior management team the c-suite they don't have an option now around this and nobody's going to want to have their organization branded as an organization that doesn't treat all of its employees fairly and equally. And I think that in itself is just going to be so powerful and will hopefully bring about change in some of those organisations. I do... Think that there might be differences between your large organizations, your corporates, those with big budgets, and what they're able to do, and some of the SMEs who will have those reporting requirements next year and the year after. It'll be interesting to see what changes in those organizations. I I did see that if you don't have a website, then you can hold the information publicly in, in your offices. But for the size of the organizations concerned, it's likely that they've had websites for many years. In place. And so, therefore, there'll be an obligation to post that information there. For those without the websites, I wonder, will there be a different story without that central portal like they have in the UK? You'll probably get away with it for a couple of years here in Ireland. I don't know what the plans are for that portal or how close they are to developing it. Will it take? time we look at things like the Workplace Relations Commission website which is undergone a a refresh and stuff but it did take a few years to get it up to speed so I'll be curious to see how quickly that'll all come into place. There'll be room I think for a few employers to keep those reports in their offices not on their website because they won't have one when it gets pushed down to the smaller organisations and that'll have an impact too because it's not uh, that name and shame piece won't be there until that portal
1: is in place. Okay, so a big piece of work to be done and uh, I suppose another one to add to the ever uh, going to do a list of HR people, but it's great news. It's coming and it will be exciting to see the progress we do have over the next number of years uh, on this topic. So thank you both for a very insightful discussion and hopefully we've put a lot of people's minds at ease there about what is coming and what they can do next. Thank you to everyone also for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next episode of our podcast. Don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Do make sure to check the show notes for more useful resources related to today's topic, which we'll share in the show notes there below the episode. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary and Mary.
2: Thank you. Thanks all.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.